0: Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library
1: District. Hi, everybody. My name is Shelly, and I'm one of the librarians of the Maricopa County Library District. Recently, another librarian and I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with the great Olivia Dade about her projects, her passions and fandoms, her process as a writer, and her position as a voice for body positivity in the publishing industry. I have never laughed so much as I did during the interview uh, with Olivia. She has this refreshing cinnamon roll sense of humor that skews through observational and self-deprecating, which permeates her newest book, All the Feels, which is due to be released here in the US on October 26th. Now, Like many of us, Olivia Dade grew up as an undeniable nerd, prone to ignoring the world around her as she read any book that she could find. She proudly admits that her favorites were always romances. As an adult, she earned a Master of Arts in American History and worked in a variety of roles that used her passion, storytelling talent, and research abilities, such as a Colonial Williamsburg interpreter, a high school teacher, academic tutor, and of course, librarian. Now, as a writer, she's finally achieved the freedom to pursue her lifelong goal of wearing pajamas all day. She currently lives outside Stockholm with her husband, their whip smart daughter, and the family's ever-burgeoning collection of books. It is from her home that Olivia joins us today. Just we absolutely both found out that we love your novel. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert was a particular treat. Uh, I have to admit, I've been going to cons for a few years, and you did a great job of capturing uh, everything that kind of goes on in that world. And so I was wondering if you would give us a little bit of information, maybe a spoiler alert, about what you're currently working on.
0: I literally
1: just a couple days ago finished my draft of the third book
0: set in the spoiler alert universe. The main characters are Maria and Peter, who sort of show up on the periphery of the first two stories. They're not as involved in those stories because they spent six years of filming on a small island off the coast of Ireland. And so they're, although they're friends and they're on the cash chat, they're not gonna be with the other cast most of the time. It actually goes back to when they first met and she is Swedish and she, comes to the U.S. for sort of final auditions for the role on the Gods of the Gate show, runs into Peter, not knowing who he is, and it is a romance novel. So, of course, there's (laughs) a one-night stand, and she has figures she will never see him again because she's either going to be back in Sweden or she's going to be on a small Irish island for forever, you know, for the next few years. And so she leaves him without... Uh, a word or a note or even her last name and he is not delighted by that and of course she shows up for her final audition and there he is and they get cast opposite each other so they're going to be filming basically only with one another for six years. The story sort of starts there and then it's going to go through their uh, their final scenes they filmed together six years later and their final press junket together. Where it's sort of, there's a lot of decisions to be made about what's going to happen with their relationship. I really love it. I got to make a, I live in Sweden. I've been here for about three years. I got to make a lot of jokes about Ikea and ABBA. <laughs> 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 and herring, like a lot of herring jokes. <laughs> so, um, And so I'm, I'm excited about it. And I also wrote my bonus scene for all the feels. Um, have you had a chance to? Did you get an arc of all the fields?
2: I did, yeah. I got an yeah. e arc of it, and I adored it. And I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on the waiting list right now. <laughs> so I, I, so I just finished
0: my draft of shipwrecked. Two words, because there people ship them together. So shipwrecked, and then also um, my bonus
2: scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the hardest scene you've ever written? <laughs>
0: I mean, I will say the scene I just finished writing involved some research on my part because I wanted to be sure that I didn't um, uh, advocate or portray anything that would be unsafe Um, or, you know, it it was, but that was not actually, that was fun, although my um, targeted ads are going to be very different (laughs) in the foreseeable future given my new Google search history i think the hardest scene i wrote was not necessarily because the writing was hard but because it was just hard to write i think emotionally was probably the scene between um april and her mother toward the end of spoiler alert april finally addresses directly um how hurtful she finds what her mother has been saying to her about um, with the intention of, you know, with all love and good intentions, but the things her mother has been saying to her about her body, about food, about exercise, about clothing, and has to sort of say, this is hurting me. If you can't stop this, then our relationship is gonna have to change. And it was a very emotional scene to write, and I, it was a very hard scene to write. Like, when I write, um, emotional scenes i I cry too. That's not true of every author. Um, I said this to one of my friends and she just sort of looked at me. <laughs> you mean she is she has I think more of a little bit removed from that even though her books are very heartfelt. I will like. <laughs> <laughs> so I been writing some of it and I was definitely like, I was cried out at the end of that scene.
1: And that was a very uh, intense, the world that had been created that she was living in uh, had a lot of depth to it and a lot of realistic interactions uh, between the different characters. In general, how do you go about creating the different worlds of your books? Whether you are working with librarians, or Marysburg or a comic con, or in Sweden, mm-hmm. off the coast of Ireland,
0: it really depends on what type of book it is. Like, for instance, um, Teach Me, which is I love. It's a book very close to my heart. It is largely based on my, other than. Uh, getting into a relationship with a fellow teacher. It my <laughs> <actually, laughs> experiences as a high school teacher. Something as simple as the scene where they have um, an active shooter drill. You know, that's from my own experience. Uh, where she, they have a fire drill and she doesn't want to stop making copies, so she hides in the copy room. Like, sorry <laughs> to my former principal, but I also did that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it is the last Friday of the month, it is the final period of the day, and this is our first fire drill of the month, which means this is definitely a drill, and I am not giving up my spot at the copy machine. (laughs) 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 Um, So there's those, and like some of the library library ones too were largely based on, again, other than the (laughs) the fancy conceptual ones, they're based on my time in the library. I think one of the things that was uh, different about the spoiler alert universe is that it is so foreign to my own personal experience. So for that, you know, the internet is a glorious thing. So I had a lot of behind the scenes, um, sort of films and special sort of things about um, Game of Thrones, like they're filming, not necessarily the show itself, but you know, how they, how the cast and crew worked on those sets um how does green screen work all of these things what is the filming equipment that would be surrounding them and i knew nothing about any of that and i just googled it and spent a long time and then also the the world i created as far as um gods of the gates the books that were made into the tv series which have kind of gone off the rails that then they create fan fiction based it, it took some thought because i wanted something that Uh, Felt believable as a blockbuster television series, and there was a moment where I was planning it: come up with the books, and then come up with the TV show, which will be different than the books. Then come up with the fan fiction, and this is all part of another world I'm coming up with, which is the world Marcus and April actually live in. I was like, "Why aren't they teachers? (laughs) Why aren't they librarians?" But I was. You know, that was the book that I had proposed. It's the book that I had under contract. So
2: I had to sit down and figure it out. And you handled it quite well. As someone who's in in a lot of those worlds, you handled it quite well.
0: I'm glad I tried. I wanted to get it right. And I was also fortunate that one of my dear friends, uh, Margretta Martin, is a geologist in the San Francisco area. So the stuff about April and about San Francisco, that is very much Margretta
2: Lesser. Tell me about your job because I'm going to steal it from my book. (laughs) Tell me all the minute details. I need to know everything. (laughs)
0: She spent hours on the phone with me. I mean, I was on FaceTime with her to the point where my
2: phone died twice. (laughs) How long would you say you spend researching before even beginning a book?
0: I would say like a week. I mean, not, I mean, I'm a former librarian, and I'm a former academic, and I'm a former teacher, so like, finding information is not really a problem for me, and so I was able to find these background videos and stuff on YouTube and then um, basically (laughs) draining my good friend (laughs) information about geology and her work, and yeah, I would say about a week, and that's actually the thing I've had to yeah, I would say that that's probably, that's probably it. some books less than that. I tend to write about things that I um, already know something about for the most part. My tennis books, I went through a stage of where months where basically all I did was watch tennis after the 2016 election. So
1: when I wrote a book
0: with a tennis player, then a lot of that was already fresh in my mind. So I did a little research, but like the terminology and a lot of it, I didn't have to do a lot, but This was again, a little bit different than that.
1: So out of all of the different books that you've written, do you have a personal favorite among them? And which one would you recommend for somebody that's just discovering your writing?
0: I think that which one I would recommend would very much depend on what type of story they like. I think that there is a, my writing voice is the same between my books for Avon and my self-published books. And there, I mean, I think there's a similar amount of heat, a similar amount of humor, but the books that I self-published are very deliberately quieter. They're stories that may not have quite such a big uh, conflict. There's often less angst. And it's just not um, set in as wide-ranging a world, I would say, as the books that I've written in the Spoiler Alert universe. If you're sort of into books that have maybe a little bit less angst and are a little bit lower-key, then I would say Teach Me. And I think that it's a good representation of sort of who I am and what I write. The difference for Spoiler Alert is that number one is through a traditional publisher, and traditional publishers like bigger hooks. and. You know, Teach Me, I love, and I think a lot of readers love it, too, but it's not like crazy hooky, right? You have to read it to sort of get into it. Um, Spoiler alert, the idea of a star in a show writing fan fiction about his own show is critical fan fiction. (laughs) Is a bigger, immediate hook. And when I got the contract for Spoiler Alert, I had worked with a traditional publisher before, but um, digital first publications. So this was my first book I knew was gonna be on bookshelves around the country, potentially around the world. And I wasn't sure I would ever, depending on how the book did, have another shot at that. So I wasn't gonna waste it. If there was something, I might never have another audience that large again, is sort of what I thought. So I, I was not gonna, I was gonna shoot my shot. So like anything that I wanted to say, that, like, I really felt I needed to say is in that book. <laughs> that <laughs> book is, spoiler alert, is packed with stuff in there that I wanted to say because I was like, this is the time. If I'm going to say it, this is my audience. And I, I don't release books I don't love. I think my best banter is probably all the feels. So, like, if you want something that, like, is a
2: little more banterific, which sometimes that's what I want then it would be that. Technology, social media, and fan fiction forums allow everyone to create content like April and Marcus and Spoiler Alert. Some authors and filmmakers are uncomfortable with it and others embrace it. Why do you feel this gatekeeping occurs? Do you have a favorite fan fiction? Well, I am,
0: So I said, it's sort of the back of Spoiler Alert. Um, I spent about a year reading nothing but Jamie and Brienne fan fiction from Game of Thrones. <laughs> And the irony is, I did not actually watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> I mean, like, as I began reading the, their fan fiction, I literally based that entirely on a fan supercut on YouTube of all their scenes together, which is, other than like the hand chopping, sorry, spoiler alert, <laughs> other than that, it like erases if you watch that fan supercut. I'm not big on violence, particularly sexual violence, which the show had a lot of, barely, so, mm-hmm. like, other than the whole hands part, it really erased all of that into, like, a slow burn sort of love story until it got <laughs> to the end, but, like, up until, like, it's weird how the series ended right after they kissed. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the yeah. So, I mean, that was certainly, that was um, a lot of the inspiration for uh, what I wrote about why some authors and creators don't like things like fan fiction or um, transformative works. um, You know, there, you know, intellectual property is a hard subject. It is hard if you're, you know, pirating is an issue um, for all of us, you know, anyone who does creative work. I mean, and there is a certain amount of frustration. I can see how you could get frustrated if you say, this is an idea I came up with and like, you're just sort of taking it as your own, right? But that's not really what's happening with fan fiction. It's, I think it's a huge compliment. You know, I found, I I was um, foolish enough to, I went ahead and and, um, put in my author name on Archive of Our Own because I was curious and I don't have ones based on my work, but there are a couple of ideas I had in Spoiler Alert that people use as inspiration for um, a couple of fics, And I thought that was so cool. Like one of them got inspired by the little fix snippet I created. I'm very proud of being on AO3 in some fashion. I, that is how I started watching Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries and it is how i started watching you know started doing reading the Jamie Brienne fanfic because somebody posted that final season someone posted some of the scenes where he's like looking at her like with this sort of awe and affection i was like that looks fabulous and i'm just going to ignore all the context around it <laughs> Including the princess, <laughs> it's
1: gonna focus right in on just the part I wanna look at. I understand yeah. that so well. <laughs> and one of the interesting things that we do see in libraries is that you can take a uh, story elements you mentioned having three very different worlds, and the stories uh repeat or have different variations, but every single one of them can be entirely valid. Yes. I, of course, the character of Aeneas is based off of classical literature, and God of the Gates would have been inspired by that as well. Uh, did you have a lot of exposure to that particular story before uh, looking at trying to find something uh, to base the show itself around? I took Latin
2: in high
0: school and college, and so I ended up translating uh, large chunks of the Aeneid a couple of times, and so when I was sort of thinking through what was uh, a premise for a blockbuster television show that had a lot of space for something more epic, I sort of thought about mythology and, you know, Roman mythology in general, but then also the Aeneid and uh, Aeneas and Dido and Lavinia as some of the main characters. For that, just in part because I was already familiar with the story, and it is a big epic story. You know, it involves you know battle and sailing different places, and people burning themselves on funeral pyres. <laughs> 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 there's a lot. There's a lot there that can be done. Of course, you're talking about immortal like gods. There's a lot of epic potential there. So that was that was why I chose that.
1: Uh, you mentioned that in spoiler alert it was a book in which you had a lot to say. Uh, how has the current world situation impacted your writing process? I wrote all the feels um, a couple months into the pandemic when I
0: still like had um, energy <laughs> I, you know, my family had only been home with me for a couple months at that point point. Um, and I worked at night when they were asleep and that really helped get my mind off of things. So like that actually I think in some ways um, was a relief for me during those months and then after that um, <laughs> I'm already prone to like anxiety and depression particularly during the Swedish winters are really hard for me. Like I have seasonal issues with that too. And so you put me in Sweden, unable to travel home, you know, to the US, unable to see my family. My mom had, she's fine now. My mom had cancer during this time, you know, was diagnosed with breast cancer. I, I was stuck in my apartment with, I love them dearly, but like two extroverted family members, My uh, <laughs> and my daughter. And um, yeah, it was really a bad mental health winter and a bad mental health spring (laughs) to to be frank. And so uh, I did not write, this is the longest chunk that I did not write a new work. I mean, I edited stuff for all the fields and so forth, but it was the longest period of time I'd gone without writing anything new since I started writing just because, even though I'm a hermit and a homebody, um, we have a phrase for writers is refilling the well that you need to sort of read other people's work and you know, travel or watch movies or be with other people. And that gives you the inspiration you need outside of simply your own head, which is part of it. But like the outside world plays a part in, of that for most of us as well. And the fact that I spent months and months in my apartment, not going anywhere, not seeing anyone in person, I think made it difficult also to um, to refill my well, even apart from the issue of depression, which was, you know, also made it very difficult. So it was hard for me to write shipwrecked. Um, I hope and I don't think that'll be evident to readers, but like, Usually, it's easier for me to write than this was, but, you know, we're a year and a half in now, and, yeah. (laughs) But I'm traveling to the U.S. later this month, because I'm
2: I'm double vaccinated, and I was like, I gotta go see my (laughs) family, so... I live with a very I live with my parents and one of them is very extroverted and I understand the struggle you've been in because my dad and I are like we lived for this like this is our time to shine and my mom's like we gotta get out of the house my mom's like I'm going crazy I need to see someone I need to talk to people who aren't you two
0: <laughs> I mean they're wonderful you know my daughter gets up early and my husband is a night owl so I mean literally I would I was working the night shift like to write all this. Right now it is nine thirty here. I got up at three thirty and I will not go to bed till like my daughter's off to school. Now that'll change once I'm no longer drafting as I have been. But at this point, since I'm traveling to San Francisco soon, there is no point in my changing my sleep schedule because I will be ready for San Francisco. The nine hour time difference. I'm gonna be
2: ready right away. I was gonna say it's 12:30 here, so yeah, you would, you you'll be great. Exactly. Uh, what is the funniest typo you've ever written?
0: Yes, my favorite typo I've ever written is uh, that my female main character uh, straddled the main male main character's hippos. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great mental image. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, impressive like flexibility for her to straddle a hippo. Oh, actually, multiple hippos. <laughs> but also very impressive on my part as an author to have weaved subtly hippos <laughs> without readers knowing
1: beforehand. Uh, research is something that's really a, a familiar process for you and that you spent about a week researching for the new series. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever had to Google for your writing?
0: Um, Yes, I would say that the thing that I sort of paused and said, I did not anticipate doing this for my work. Um, (laughs) I actually did a lot of research this time on um, there is a set of those Irish islands. I don't name this island because it's sort of an amalgamation of several of them. Um, But I researched specific, like, real Irish islands off the West Coast, um, and the characters on the show are going to be, you know, set there sort of during faux medieval times. They're Vikings, shipwrecked on the show. And so I had to look at what their characters would have done at that time on an island like that. What would they have eaten? what would they have seen on the island what you know what sort of shelter could they create um and then i also had to look at what it's like now for the actors right so i had to do sort of then and now and so i ended up spending an enormous amount of time reading about thatched roofs (laughs) (laughs) and about cod (laughs) and like the native fish in the area and like different ways you would prepare that and just like a lot of roof thatchery, where I'm like, what would they use as the thatch? Like, would it be grasses? Would it be? And so I'm trying to figure out, like, also looking up the native flora to those sort of islands to say, what could they have used as a thatch? Um, and the answer is, I'm not sure. So I kind of fudged it. <laughs> but I tried, and I went to all these websites with like ye old thatchery enthusiasts. <laughs> In red up on like, um, on an island like that, it would have been sort of thatch would have been sort of tied down with ropes because otherwise the wind off the Atlantic would, anyway. And that was a moment where I was just like, I cannot believe that I spent the entire afternoon reading about thatchery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I mean, it was fine. And it, but it only shows up like in two paragraphs in the book, but like, I want to get it right. I don't want to get it wrong, so I hope, if if that scene is still in there after my book gets edited, I really want you, if you read that book, when you hit that scene, to think to yourself, thank you, Olivia, for all the, (laughs) all the roof research you did for this one brief scene (laughs) in this book, I feel
2: like I'm in the presence of someone who really knows what they're talking about. You'll have someone email you and be like, this was the most accurate description I've ever read.
0: I I did have someone, they didn't email me, but I did see someone, just one person though, talk about how um, unrealistic my geology stuff was with April. And I literally, my friend, this is, <laughs> was literally her, her job. And like, she read it and was like, we went through it till she was like, yep, that's
1: all accurate. So I'm like, <laughs> You're like, this isn't on me anymore. <laughs> With so many different series out there, do you ever try and hide Easter eggs in your books that you expect maybe only a couple of readers might guess? I
0: Spoiler alert, I especially have some Easter eggs in there for people who are part of the Jamie Brand fandom. There is uh, there are YouTube sort of videos of the interviews Nikolai Koster-Waldau and Gwendolyn Christie have together they're often put they were often put together for interviews because they're good friends and they banter really well and there's a one of their interviews one of the more well one of the more watched interviews uh, Nikolai Koster-Waldau forgets uh the term for male mermaids and he calls them (laughs) man-maids (laughs) and so i i literally put one of the little interstitial bits in spoiler alert you know one of this the film snippets is his film (laughs) man-made specifically there for just like people who are really into that fandom and like two people have i did have someone dm me be like is that
2: what you're referring to? And I said, thank you. You are like, yes, this is correct. Exactly. Have any of your friends and family read your books or told you they like them or don't like them? Has it been awkward? Yes.
0: <laughs> my mother, um, oh, my I mother know. is a lifelong romance reader. So I had hoped when I began writing romance, <laughs> she would like like my work but um she uh the sort of romance I write is not necessarily her favorite um and she really loves books that have babies <laughs> and for me babies are the antithesis of romance <laughs> <laughs> I love my daughter but like nah so so the cowboys babies firefighters Athletes. Um those are her go-to things that she if there is a shirtless dude in a and cradling an infant, <laughs> she is there. And as you may note with my stuff, I do more like nerds. <laughs> and things like I mean, you just won't find me writing a firefighter hero probably anytime soon. They're great. I've read a lot of them. It's just not what I do. Um so <laughs> She supports me, but, like, it's very clear that, like, it's not really what she likes to read. And she told me once that one of her neighbors was, like, oh, I'm going to read one of your daughter's books. And mom told me, but I told her, I said, there's a lot of sexual content. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm like,
1: do not discourage people from buying my books, mom. (laughs) Yeah. Now, writers, we also often are great readers or enjoyers of stories in other forms. You've mentioned uh, loving some of the fan fiction, but what is your favorite uh, book or author or series outside of the fan fiction realm?
0: Probably as far as craft, as far as just like uh, thinking that she's an amazing like writer in general. I really love Joanna Bournes, probably the Black Hawk, uh, Rogue Spy are two of my favorite of hers. She is the master of um, deep point of view. And by that, I mean that when you're reading within that character's point of view, what that character notices and the order in which they notice it, how they phrase whatever they're thinking to themselves, um, whatever they say, anything they do is all very individual to them based on their own history, their own personality, um their perfection all of those things so that it's all so deeply in there's nothing generic about anything that happens in her book like, they're really lovely and i think very sweeping epically romantic there's so much i love about um the black hawk is the one that i've read multiple times she just has these little grace notes of like little snippets of scenes that are just Clutch at your heart. And she's also very
2: good at
0: these phrases that sound like they are um, aphorisms that have been around for hundreds of years, but she just made them up. Like one of my favorite lines of hers, she said, You know, John Donne may have said, No man is an island. I hope it's John Donne. It's been a while. She said, but some are very slender peninsulas. <laughs> like, you know, she just has very, like, she's she's wonderful. And there, there are so many other authors I love, too. I'm a lifelong Mia Sosa stan, but, like, um, she's a dear friend as well. But I can't write like that. Everyone has a different voice. My voice is not hers.
2: But I just admire what she does so much. And that kind of leads to my one of my favorite questions to ask. Um... What book have you bought? And I know you're in Sweden, but bought based purely on the cover.
0: Um, I am a sucker for a lot of the uh, illustrated covers. Yeah, um, this is evident with you know my covers in general. I think it was Elizabeth Everett. I haven't read it yet. I own it though, <laughs> which is like the ladies. Formula for Love or the yeah 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 like these cute little and I also was the title too because it was like sciency and I mean it sounded like nerdy fun <laughs> it just was so cute um and also some of the Harlequin desires have been killing it recently like the particularly like a Reese Ryan's covers like they're just they're sexy and they're diverse and some of them are just genuinely like there's a lot of connection between them, like the clinch on the cover. So for the more classic covers, some of those Harlequin Desire covers recently have been like A plus. If that scene's in the book and <laughs> I am there. <laughs> I will say that writing writing is the first time in my life that I I started writing in 2014. And before then, I, I think I moved to be with my husband, the rural community, and um, I didn't necessarily have a ton in common. It's a very insular community. And I, I felt like an outsider a lot of the time. And I didn't have like a close circle of friends, you know, particularly female friends, and I really wanted that. And when I started writing, You know i was on twitter and i met my at the time my critique partner mia sosa now we're just dear friends but she started out as my critique partner when we were first both of us just beginning to write and suddenly i found myself several years later with like a real circle of like fiercely feminist smart funny female friends like incredibly loyal and as much as i love just writing in general It has meant the world to me, and and as much as I appreciate my readers, having fellow writers as a community has been life-altering for me. Uh, The Romance Writers of America had their conference in New York, New York City, and I saw every year I went to that conference, there would be more friends I wanted to meet in person. And it wasn't like it was awkward these are people i've been in contact with for years and they are genuinely my friends even if we'd never met before in person and it was really beautiful to like say i did this i create i helped to create this community around me and
2: it was very meaningful to me good things can come out of the internet it's great (laughs) bad things but good things too
0: (laughs) and that's a spoiler alert too like i mean the idea that you know online communities can be real communities and you can form real friendships on them. I mean that I mean there are problems with being online and that's in there too but but there's a lot to be said for the fact that you can find people who are sort of your people, even if you don't live in an area that has a lot of your people. you can find them in a way you couldn't do. When I was growing up.
2: I met one of my best friends online early two thousands due to fandom. And like we should have never met. Like I'm big city Phoenix, she's small town Texas. And like two weeks ago we just went to Dollywood and hung out with each other because like that's what you can do now.
0: I mean, even my husband, we met through online dating. So like no internet, very few friends, and not my
1: husband. I mean, maybe a husband, but not him. No, not Sweden. <laughs> what advice would you give to uh, new or aspiring authors? I always say this, but
0: I, I do think it is probably the best advice I can give. And it comes to me from my dear friend and also very talented author, Emma Berry. And what she told me is that, and this is when I was just, I think I was starting to self-publish, is that. You could write the best possible version of what you do, like your voice, the stories you can tell. You could write the best possible version of that, and some people will still hate it. There is a book out there for everyone, but no book is for everyone, and all you can do is hope that your book will find the people who do love it, and that the people who don't love it wish them good luck, I mean, sincere good luck in finding the books that they need even if it's not yours so that not every bad review is, um, is a judgment, a cosmic judgment on your talent or lack thereof. Right. Often people who have been writing for longer and have more established audiences, like re-reviews are often better as a whole. And the reason is, is maybe they've gotten better in general, but they've also found their audience. They're not new authors where people are coming at with no idea of what to expect. They have found people who've already read them and know that they like what they have to offer. And so it's a little bit more, they know what to expect. And so she was trying to tell me like, it's, it's fine. There are going to be people who are going to hate (laughs) your books and hopefully you just find enough people who love your books. And one thing that I occasionally do, which may be slightly petty, but whatever, is my favorite books, occasionally I will go into Goodreads and read the one-star reviews of them. But these are the books that I think are like the pinnacle of our craft, right? And there are people who loathe
2: those books, who just hate them. And it is a good reminder that it is all subjective. That's one of my favorite things. I think there's one for like Pride and Prejudice. It's like one star, they should just talk to each other. Something like that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> they like they should just talk to each other. Or it right. like they go on a lot of walks. And I'm like, well, that's also accurate. They do go on a lot of walks.
1: No, so, interestingly enough, not together books. Yeah. Separate, <laughs> separate. separate walks. <laughs> Until the very end. Uh, commentary on romance books in general, how uh the two characters tend to have a such difficulty getting through and that matches a lot with just the narrative arcs. Yeah. And you talked about finding your fans. Is there anything in particular that you love about the fan base that you've been developing?
0: I would say that I am deeply touched. I want write, to write stories that people will love to read no matter what they look like. But it is also true that part of my goal in my writing career is to basically, um, to represent uh fat main characters, mostly women, but like um shipwrecked is both main characters are going to be fat. And 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 portray them in such a way that um fatness can play into the story, but it is not the central the central meaning of the story. The conflict is not about fatness between them, the main characters. That is not The story is not about uh, someone learning to love themselves despite being fat. Like, you know, April has her issues with fat shaming and set boundaries, but at the beginning of the story, she already loves her body and herself. The issue is not her learning to love herself, it's her learning to set boundaries so that the people she cares about don't hurt her. And that's different. And so I get a lot of um, emails from people who uh, may not have seen as many books with characters who look like them. I mean, there are others, Talia Hibbert is killing it, and there are others who do, Rebecca Weatherspoon, um, Katrina Jackson are killing it as well, but I do get a lot of emails from people who, um, it's meaningful to them in the same way that it would have been meaningful to me, because I grew up reading romances. If I had seen anyone who looked like them, me on any cover or in any story in which she was not shamed for being like she didn't have to change to find love she didn't have to lose weight she doesn't have to exercise she's not loved despite her size or because of her size but just because she's wonderful and that would have meant the world to me when I was growing up and it wasn't something you could really find in romance and I know because I I looked now it's more available and I want to be part of that
1: But yeah, really, uh, this has been such a great experience Uh, this year. After everything that we'd gone through, I had been having a really rough week, and I just was walking past one of our shelves in the library, and I saw a spoiler alert on the shelf. And it was just such a different experience for seeing anybody, like you said, that looked like yourself or that resembled that. And seeing that displayed in a positive light, it was, a huge positive impact for me, and so I'm very glad to be here today, not only as a librarian and a programmer, but also as a reader. Same.
0: <laughs> that means the world to me. Thank you. So, um, and that scene with um, that I talked about at the beginning with April and her mother, I get a lot of emails about that from people who um, maybe need to talk to the people in their own lives who are hurting them. And if that scene helped some of them to sort of, some of my readers to stop getting, stop being hurt and to set boundaries they
2: need in their lives, then I'm honored by that. As a Midwesterner who uh, cannot set a boundary to save her life, um, (laughs) that scene did touch me a lot. So I appreciated that. Thank you.
1: Well, Olivia, it has been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And I want to wish you congratulations again on all of the fields as well as the third book that's coming out. We're really excited for seeing both of those in the library. And congratulations on the Library Reads win as well.
0: Thank you so much. I was very honored. And thank you for, I'm touched that you
2: wanted to chat with me. And I hope that this was what you were hoping for. This is great. And my friend is very jealous I was talking to you because I introduced her to, I introduced your books to her and she was like, Aww. What do you
1: mean to talk to her? And I was like, <laughs> Librarian perks. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a Jane Austen book club and I told them, Hey, are there any questions? I'm gonna be interviewing Olivia Dade and the chat stream was just inundated with, Oh my gosh, you get to talk with her, she's fantastic. And Oh Dave, that is
0: very sweet. Thank you.
1: I'm I'm still to this I'm still very
0: kind of freaked out occasionally that it's not just my Twitter friends who read my books anymore. <laughs> so when I hear of like people I don't actually personally know reading my books, I'm always like vaguely surprised. <laughs>
1: so thank you. Now, Spoiler Alert was the first book of hers that I ran across. I just loved this illustrated cover and the story itself is a lot of fun. In Spoiler Alert, One of the main characters, Marcus, has a secret. The world may know him as Aeneas, star of the biggest show on television, but fan fiction readers know him by a different name. Secretly, Marcus gets out his frustrations with the show by writing stories about the Internet's favorite couple, Aeneas and Lavinia. But if anyone discovered he was behind those stories, he'd be finished in Hollywood. April, meanwhile, has secrets of her own. A hardcore Lavinia fan, she's long hidden her fanfic and cosplay hobbies from her real life. But when she dares to post her latest costume creation on Twitter, her plus-size take goes viral. And when Marcus asks her out to spite the internet trolls, truth becomes stranger than fanfiction. On their date, Marcus realizes that he wants more from April than a one-time publicity stunt but when he discovers that she's actually his closest fan fiction friend and critique partner, he has to choose between being honest with the friend he's been falling for or exploding his career. Can Marcus and April stop hiding or will a match made in fandom end up prematurely canceled? Check out Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade from your local library. All the Feels is the second book in the Spoiler Alert universe and it picks up part way through the events of Spoiler Alert. I was able to get an advance uh, reader copy through Alley, and I have to say, I loved all the feels even more than Spoiler Alert. With a starring role as Cupid on TV's biggest show, Gods of the Gates, Alex Woodrow has it all. But the showrunners have wrecked his character, he's dogged by old demons, and his post-show future remains entirely uncertain. Now, when all of that stress and reckless emotion explodes into a bar fight, tabloids and the public agree. Alex is in trouble. Enter Lauren, the former ER therapist who's been hired to keep him in line. Compared to her previous work, watching over the handsome and impulsive Alex really shouldn't be that difficult. But the more time they spend together, the harder it gets to keep her professional remove and her heart intact especially when she discovers the reasons behind his recklessness, not to mention his new hobby, writing Cupid fan fiction. When another scandal lands Alex in major hot water and costs Lauren her job, she'll have to choose between protecting him and prioritizing her own needs. Now, if you are a fan of geek culture, or of heartfelt stories with strong and kind people navigating the tides of everyday life in extraordinary situations I highly recommend checking out spoiler alert and all the feels by Olivia Dade. now if you're interested in exploring more of her books or any of the titles that we talk about in today's program the library offers several of these through Libby one of our largest and most popular online libraries to learn more about this go to our website at mcldaz.org and click on e-media. Or to learn more about Olivia, you can find her on our website at oliviadate.com and on Twitter at Olivia Bright. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends.
0: Follow us on social media where we are at mcldaz.